Well, I, I want to start today off, like I do a lot lately, with, with a question. And the, the question is this. The question is, is what kind of a relationship do you hope to have with your child 20 years from now? So, I mean, you know, a lot, there's a lot of different parents in the room and a lot of us different ages. You know, some of you, you may have a 20-year-old, right? Well, what do you want that relationship to look like when they're 40? Or some of you, you have a toddler, maybe they're, maybe they're three, four, or five. Well, when they're 23, 24, 25, when they're young adults, what do you want that relationship to look like? Some of you have teenagers. I mean, when you're 15-year-old, you're 14-year-old, you're when they're 34, when they're 35, when they're my age, what, what kind of relationship do you want to have with your child? And the answer to that, you may have never thought of that, but the answer to that is this. You want a healthy relationship where they come home not because they have to, but because they want to, right? I mean, all of us, we want to, when that, that time comes when, when they become an adult, when they, you know, move away, when they come back for the holidays, even if they do leave in town, you know, you don't want it to be this thing where it's like they feel like they have to. Well, it's Father's Day, it's Mother's Day, it's, it's Christmas, it's, it's Thanksgiving. I have to go home, but not because they have to, but because they want to. That, that's every parent's dream, right? To, to where your kids still want you to be an influence on their life, way past the point where you have any say of what they do with their life. Anyway, a little bit more on that in, in a second, but we are wrapping up our series today called Parenting in the Year 2022, and we're talking about this. We're talking about what parenting even is, and parenting is this. Parenting is preparing kids for their future. That's what we've talked about this entire series, is how do we help kids prepare for their future? And we've talked about parenting is one of those things that nobody wants to screw up. Nobody plans to screw up. And your greatest contribution to the world, this is such an important statement for parents, your greatest contribution to the world may not be something you do, it may be someone you raise. I mean, all of it, some of us are going to do great things. Some of us are going to leave legacies and stories on this place. But for some of us, that won't be the case. But for some of us, the greatest thing we ever do, it will be the children that we raised. It will be the legacy that we leave that maybe we're not the ones who are highlighted, but it's our kids. Or maybe it's not even our kids, but it's our grandkids. I look at my own life and I look at my own family tree. And I mean, my goodness, I've, I've looked at my family tree and there were so many cases of, of abuse and, and, and alcoholism and, and all kinds of different things. And then my grandparents were, were a great generation of, on both sides of uh, just started to turn into the direction of God and began to follow Jesus. And then, you know, then my parents were born and I look at my mother and I look at my father and man, they, they just brought us even further. And now, you know, I have my sister and I and we're, we're, we're both in ministry and we're both pastoring in different states. And I look at us and I'm like, man, thank God that my, my great-grandparents and my my grandparents and my parents, they just began to kind of steer the ship in a different direction, away from all of this worldly stuff and away from all these problems. And then, you know, God got a hold of their life and they began to follow Jesus. I mean, I owe that to my grandparents. I owe that to that generation beyond because because of them, I'm able to do what I'm doing today. It's a generational thing. Turning the, the, the direction of a family tree, changing, changing the outcome of generations, it, it sometimes starts with you. And it may not be you that they talk about, but it may be your grandchild or your great-grandchildren. 
And again, this is a series for every single person. Some of you may be sitting here and maybe think, I'm done with having kids, or we're not going to have kids, or I'm too young to have kids. Some of you guys are teenagers. But here's the thing. Everyone, everyone will make a contribution to the success or the demise of the next generation. Every single one of us have a part to play in this. Because I know this from having children myself. My kids look up to so many of you. Many of you, they, they, they look at as uncles, aunts, brothers, sisters. You're, I mean, when we say we're a church family, that's no joke. We really are, and they look at you like family. So we've been talking about what does this look like? How do we, how do, we do this? And the Bible doesn't give us great practical um, you know, family advice. There's not a lot of you know, verses that are directly towards fathers or mothers or, or parenting or anything like that. But we, we look at Jesus and, and we get an idea of how we should be as parents. If, if we're going to be Christ-centered and like Christ, if I'm going to be a father who is like Christ or a mother who is like Christ, I look at Jesus and what I see is that Jesus lived in this tension between the real and the ideal. He, what that means is he helped people navigate through the reality of things, but he always aimed for the ideal. He always, he always kind of raised the bar way further than anybody was even capable of. I mean, even when he taught us to pray, he said, you guys should pray that heaven would come down to earth, that this earth will look like heaven. And everybody looks at that and goes, but that's impossible, but that's not the point. The point is to always aim for the ideal, and then as life goes on, as we live life, to navigate through the reality. And, and, and Jesus helps us do that. We always say around here, Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. This is what Jesus came to do, to be king of our hearts and of our lives and to help us navigate through life while always aiming for the ideal, always aiming for heaven, almost living as if we're citizens of heaven before we're even in heaven. So what all does that look like? Well, we've been unpacking what the apostle Paul gave us because Jesus told us to love one another as he first loved us. Well, what does, that, what does that mean? I mean, if I asked you, you know, what is love? You'd probably give me your own definition of love. You'd probably tell me what your brand of love looks like. And that would probably be construed from your experiences, your history, your upbringing, or whatever it may be. But we, we need to understand what, what God's love looks like. We need to understand when Jesus told us to love one another as he first loved us, we need to understand what Jesus' love looked like. So that's what we're trying to unpack, and the Apostle Paul, he helps us do that, and he wrote a letter that kind of gave us handlebars to this, kind of gave us a, a steering wheel of, of God's love, and so, you know, we've been talking about his love, and this is what Paul has said so far. He said, love is patient. We spent a whole week on just talking about patience, right? Patience is going at the pace of somebody else, and that's exactly what God did for us. And he said, love is kind, and kindness, kindness is lending somebody your strength instead of reminding them of their weakness. We talked about that last week. And you guys know this verse. You've heard it many times. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. And then last week, we also got to cover that it also does not dishonor others, which basically what he's saying is love is respectful. Love is about honor. And that's what we want to teach our kids. We don't want our kids just to be obedient. We want to teach our kids how to, how to honor one another, how to respect one another. And when they're unable to do that, that's where discipline comes in. Not just punishment, but discipline. That's how we teach our kids what love really is. And so today, 
Um, we're we're going to finish this up, and we're going to wrap this series up, and, and we're going to unpack this. And this is going to be kind of rapid fire, kind of quick, kind of quicker than I want, but um, that's just the, the, the constraints that we're under. Um, and, and so it might, it's going to feel like a wave kind of on you, okay? It's going to feel like, oh boy, here it all comes, right? Um, and I even was very careful because, man, I tell you what, um, I, I got real preachy this week while I was writing this, and I like I shared it with my wife, and I shared it with Pastor Ashley, and I was like, "How's this coming?" And they're like, "Man, you you need a vacation." And I'm like, "Yep, yep, yep, yep." So anyway, so it's gonna come a little rapid fire. It's gonna come a little hot, okay? But I just want you to to, to take this for what it is. But this is what Paul says next. He says, "Love is not self-seeking." Now, you all know what this means. You've probably heard this before, but you know, you know what he's saying, right? He's saying love is not selfish. Go ahead and put that up there. Love is not selfish, right? When I was in Nebraska, so I, I went to, to college in, in Kansas City, Mid-American Ezrin University, whoop, whoop, uh, and I met my wife, and immediately, and I graduated, Four weeks later, Kate and I were married. Six, uh, six weeks after graduation, we started in Nebraska, and I started as youth pastor. When I was in Nebraska, some of you are familiar with Nebraska. Some of you Nebraskans are here. Uh, I lived in a town called Fremont, right outside of Omaha. And when I got there, the first thing I noticed is that it was very homegrown. You know, I remember when I went and interviewed, I asked the teenagers, I said, what do you guys do for fun? They said, we drive the square. I said, what does drive the square mean? They go, well, there's this way that goes south, and then there's this way that goes east, and there's this way that goes north, and there's this way that goes west. I said, are you telling me for fun on Friday nights you drive in a square? Yep, that's what we do. Okay, great. This is a phenomenal place to begin my ministry. Uh, and so uh, they were great kids, great families, but immediately I, within the first year, had six kids who were graduating high school. And I asked each of those kids, what do you plan to do after you graduate? And they said, nothing. We're planning to get a job, I guess. I don't know. And they had no aspirations. And so I said, you know, we were not far. We were about four and a half, five hours from Mid-American Azure University from Kansas City. I said, let me take you guys on a campus tour and let me show you where I went to school. And maybe that's somewhere you could go to school too. And I tell you what, I threw this out there and I planned this campus visit. And do you know what happened? The parents threw a fit. I kid you not, I had a mob of parents waiting for me outside my office door one day, and they said, we need to talk to you. And I thought, what in the world have I done? And they said, did you tell our kids you would take them on a campus tour? Yes, I did. I told them that we would, you know, pack up and go check out. You can't do that. And I said, what do you mean I can't do that? They said, I don't want them to leave ever. I said, what do you mean you don't want them to leave ever? They said, I don't want them to go to school. What if they go to college and they meet some girl and she's from a different state? And then what if they get a job and a career? And then what if they move away? What if they never come home? I go, good golly, Miss Molly, is that the worst thing that could ever happen? That sounds like a win for me, but serious. These parents were completely resistant. They did not want their children to leave this town, ever. Many of them would have told you. They said, our future hopes and dreams for our children is that they, they work at Jiffy Lube down the street or McDonald's and that they meet a girl here in Fremont, which, good luck, there weren't many, and, <laughs> and, and that they have grandbabies for me and I get to spend my happily ever after here with my husband and my, and my family and my son and my daughter and I get to watch my grandbabies every day. And I was like, wow, here's the problem. 
that dream sounds a whole lot about you and not so much about them. And so I did take those kids on a campus tour. And I was proud to say that in the three years that I was there, I sent 12 kids to Mid-America Nazarene University. 12 kids went to college. Four of them uh, got a call to ministry. Four of them graduated from Mid-America Nazarene University. Four of them are pastors today. Many of those kids did go to, to Mid-America. A couple of them even went to Olivet in, in Illinois. And they did meet people. Most, I, every single one of them, I think but one, are married now, and they're starting to have kids. And I, I got a photo this week on Instagram. One of them, the latest one, was little Elizabeth. I call her little Elizabeth because when I met her, she was in sixth grade. But Elizabeth just got married um, a couple weeks ago, and she sent me a photo, and I'm so so stinking proud of all these kids. Uh, these kids are phenomenal. They're doing great things in the world. Many of them are nurses. Um, they're just doing so many things, and I'm so proud of them. But I look back on that time, and I did. I, I butted heads with these parents because I had aspirations and dreams for their kids, and their parents were resistant to it. But God, parent, here's the thing. What have we been talking about this whole series? Is about love. The parents... It's preparing people, preparing them for their future, for their hopes and dreams, right? Love, love is about putting the person, person beside you in front of you. Why don't we do that for our kids? Love is all about putting the person beside you in front of you. And parents, let me tell you something. There's, there's going to come that time where your kid graduates high school and they're going to have hopes and dreams and aspirations. And as parents, it is your duty to help them figure that out and find a way to make those dreams and make those aspirations a reality. Let me tell you, one of the greatest things that my parents and Kate's parents ever did for us is that a decade or more in advance, they prepared for us to go to college. A decade in advance. They, my, my parents didn't make a whole lot of money. My dad's a pastor. My mom, she did a lot of different things. She's worked for cities and, and been clerk and all this different stuff. But they, they saved money at least a decade in advance. And when I graduated high school, I told my dad what he wanted to do. And he said, son, I can help you X amount your first year of college. I will get you there. I will help you pay this much. You will have to get a job and you will have to pay me back this much. And then it is up to your scholarships to get you the rest of the way and your hard work. But let me tell you something. Me and my wife, both of us, went to four years of college, and we graduated debt-free. And it has set us up for a huge success today because we've been able to be debt-free uh, all of our adult lives. Do you know how that happened? It's because a decade and more in advance, our parents prepared and our parents planned to help us out and to put us ahead of themselves. So parents, some of you, I know you very well. Some of that access money that you have that you spend on materialistic things, on, 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 on different stuff. Man, let me tell you something. If, you, if there's a way you want to put your, your kid in front of you, if you would start taking some of that, you need to be saving for yourself, number one. But also, if you would just set some aside of that to, to help your kid with their future hopes and dreams, maybe it's not even a career or education, but maybe it's just one day to, to get married and to start off well. Whatever it may be, your kids are going to need your help. And don't tell me that we don't have the means to do it. We just don't have the discipline to do it. And one of the things you could be doing for your kids right now is putting them first, is helping them prepare for that. 
preparing for that season of life to help them when they're beginning their life as an adult. Anyway, I told you it was going to be rapid fire today, right? Anyway, but he also says this, Paul goes on, he goes, love is not self-seeking and it is not easily angered. We've talked about this first before. I've exegeted this first before you before. And I talked about that Greek word anger, what it actually means is it's a cooking term. So, so, so when the, the original audience would have read Paul's letter and he says, love is not easily angered. What they actually would have heard is this. Love is not easily stirred up. It's a cooking term. Love is not easily stirred up. I don't know how many of you cook. I love cooking. I cooked for a bunch of people yesterday. I love cooking and stuff. Yeah, Gwen got, Gwen got to have my smash burgers yesterday, so she was really excited. But do you ever notice when you, when, when you stir something up, stuff starts to come to the surface? Like, like there's some stuff that, that lays at the bottom. Like everything has its own density, right? And so some things go to the bottom, and when you stir things up, there's things that sometimes rise to the top. Things you didn't know were there. Things that were you know, uh, less dense become more dense. And so things start to change, and things rise up. Here's the thing you need to understand about anger. Anger is about you being stirred up. And here's the truth that many of us, we don't really like, but no one makes you angry. Actually, I want you to turn to, your, turn to the person you came with. Turn, turn to the person next to you and just go, hey, no one makes you angry. Go ahead and tell them, right? No one makes you angry. And you're going, would you be quiet and listen to the sermon, all right? I mean, but, but we, all, we all have said that they just make me so angry. No, let me tell you something. No one makes you angry. You know what happens when you feel anger? When you feel anger, what happens is, is somebody stirs you up and what, is all, what was already inside of you just rises to the surface. Your desire to be in control rises to the surface. Your desire for everybody to listen to you and be obedient to you rises to the surface. Your, your, your desire and your need uh, to, to, to feel like you're smart, to feel like you're in control, to be confident, it rises to the surface. And the truth is, is that when we're angry, when we're stirred up, it's not that somebody is making us angry, it's that we're not getting what we want. That is what anger reveals. When you're angry, you might as well run to a mirror, look in the mirror and go, What's wrong, Michael? What's wrong, little Michael? What's the deal? And you might as well say to yourself, the problem is that I'm not getting what I want. And they've stirred me up, and they've brought that to the surface, and I see that. Now, all of a sudden, that is very apparent in front of me. And how many of us, our kids, make us angry? How many of us, our kids, they stir us up? It's a common thing, right, parents? Kids stir us up all the time. Toddlers stir us up. Kids in elementary school, stir us up. Teenagers, middle schoolers, they stir us up. But the thing is, is that it's not our kids that are making us angry. The problem is, is that they're stirring us up. And what is already inside of us, what is already insecure, is just, it's rising to the top. And the thing is, is that when that happens, we have two options. We can either respond or react. We talk about this a lot. There's a big difference between a response and a reaction. Because a reaction, I mean, when you touch something hot, that's what you do. You don't even think about it, right? You just react. The thing is, is that many of us, we react so many times. What's in us just comes out. 
We don't think about it. It's not carefully planned. It's just, there's a reaction. A response, though, is carefully thought out. A response is thought out. And, and here's the truth, and many of you, you know this, that when your kid stirs you up, and some of you who have little kids, it's coming, so this is, this is good pre-planning. When you get stirred up and you react, the truth is, is that most of us parents, when we react, we talk to our kids nastier than we would talk to another adult. Because I've been in the line at store and a kid's done something, stirred them up. And I've watched a parent turn to their kid and go, are you stupid? Are you an idiot? Come over here, you blankety blank. And I'm going, brother, that's a four-year-old and you wouldn't even talk to me that way because I'd deck you in the face. <laughs> but isn't it true that we've seen adults talk so nasty to a child to a child, to another young human being. It's terrible. Parents, when we are angry, and it's a natural thing to get anger, but, but love and anger doesn't react, it responds. And we need to learn how to respond. Now, here's the thing. Man, I, I, I try my best at doing this, right? And, I, and I'm, I'm fairly okay at it, but my family, and some of you have even understood this, right? All right. Even if I respond well, even if I carefully plan out my words that I say next, many, many times, even though the words that are coming out of my mouth are responding, my face is reacting. Okay, so my body reacts and I have no control over this thing, okay? My mouth responds. And so many times, I will be stirred up for my kids. And Olivia, she sees it. She knows. She's me. She, she has my gift. She's a, she's a human being reader. And she'll look at me and she'll go, Daddy, are you mad at me? I'll say, no, it's fine. And she'll go, Daddy, I know you're not fine. I'm like, I said I was fine. Your face doesn't say you're fine, Daddy. You're still mad at me. You know, I mean, and that's where we go. And... And I am, I am, I'm stirred up still. White rich is natural. I mean, it's so natural. When you get stirred up, you get stirred up. You don't have any control over that. So even if you respond well, sometimes your body, your facial expressions, you, you still kind of react and it sends a message in itself. But here's what I've learned as a parent and as a pastor is that even when you go through those emotions, you need to learn to talk about your emotions. Parents, talk to your kids about your emotions as you go through them. Because here's the thing, we have become terrible at it, especially my generation. We are such a generation of filters and, and, and mask and pretending that we have been able to mask our emotions so well. We've been able to mask our anxiety. We've been able to mask our depression, mask our anger so much that what we've done is we haven't communicated to the next generation that it's okay to have emotions. It's okay to be anxious. It's completely normal to be stirred up. It's okay. And we have to be the ones that help our kids understand that it's okay. But we do that by, by talking about our emotions. A, a childhood psychologist, she said this. I really like this quote. It is scarier to have a parent who is going through something emotional and doesn't talk about it than a parent who is struggling and does talk about it. Parents, your emotions are real. Your emotions are natural. 
it would be better for you to talk about it than to not talk about it. Because here's what it models. It models to your kids. Go ahead and put that up there. It models to your kids that it's normal to have emotions and it teaches them how to, expre- how to express how you feel. Our kids need to have this ability. Our kids need to know that emotions are normal and we need to teach them how to express their emotions in a healthy way. Parenting is also this. Parenting is helping your kids navigate through the reality of their emotions. But in order to do that, you need to learn how to navigate through yours. This is so important for our next generation that we begin, parents, to navigate through our emotions so that we can help them navigate through theirs because that's the reality of it. Paul continues on and he says this next. He says, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Parents, let me tell you something. When your kid does do something stupid, and every kid does, right? We all did too. When your kid does do something, it is so normal to think that won't be the last time that they do that, right? I mean, you, you just, you, you turn to one another and you're like, yeah, this is going to happen again. This is going to come up. This is, not, this is not the first time that they've wrecked the car and it will not be the last. You know, I mean, you just, you just kind of know that you kind of almost expect. But, but here's the thing. As parents, we have to err on the side of grace. We have to, we, we have to pretend, pretend pretend like we forgot it, even though we never will forgive it. And this is my relationship advice even to married couples all the time. I talk about this. Forgiving, forgiving and pretending to forget is always your best bet. Even when it comes to marriage, and no matter what relationship it is, how you keep no record of wrongs is that you forgive. And I, people say forgive and forget. I don't think you ever do forget. But to forgive and to pretend like you forgot is always your best bet because it's what, it's what enables you to keep on in the relationship. That's what love does. Love doesn't keep a tally of how many times you've messed up. And then when you do mess up, even though we knew it would happen, even though we assumed it would happen, we don't go, well, here we are again. I knew it. I knew you would mess it up. I knew you would let me down. No, that's not what love does. Love keeps no record of wrongs because that's what Christ has done for you. Christ doesn't forget your sins. You think Christ just erased his memory and was like, that never happened? Absolutely not. But Jesus decided for you to forgive you, absolutely, but he pretends to forget. And he doesn't take opportunities away from you. He doesn't call you garbage. He doesn't do away with you. He continues to use you and give you opportunities and experience that are for your good. Then Paul continues on. He says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Now, this is, this is one of the, the parts that, again, we've all heard that. We've like, I, I maybe know what that means. You know, I kind of I think I know what that means, but uh, I have my own ideas. But, but when it comes to parenting, I've, I've thought really long and hard uh, about this and where it fits I- into parenting. And this is, this is what I, 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 I translate this as, as meaning, is that love does not manipulate. Because manipulation is evil. Trickery is evil. Parents, let me give you some word of advice, and this is where we start going into the deep end of the pool, okay? Do not manipulate your kids. 
Do not trick your kids. Do not play mind games with your kids. Because when your kids find out that you are manipulating them, that you were tricking them, that you were playing cute little games with them that everybody was doing around the holidays, I'm telling you what, it will come back to bite you. Because when they find out you were playing with, that you were playing with them the whole time, they'll say, you were messing with me? All those years? You were lying to me? You were tricking with me? That's just what we do around Christmas, son. No, 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 it's not funny, right? Because when that day comes, when they find out the truth and find out that you've been manipulating them and all the other kids laugh at them and they're like, your parents told you that and you believed them, they go, yeah, I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I guess I can't because my parents were manipulating me or tricking me or getting me to, again, behavioral modification. They were getting me to behave a certain way, and so they told me these things, and we were playing this so-and-so game. But now I feel tricked, and now I feel manipulated. Parents, don't manipulate your kids. It will not lead you to a healthy relationship with your child when they're an adult. Then Paul continues on, and he says, Love always protects. Love always always protects. Now, let me tell you something. I have my own ideas of how I protect my children. You have your ideas about how you protect your children. And I was sharing this with Pastor Ashley, and she was sharing with me what you know, her and Jason do and stuff. And, and she, she texted me a line that I thought was really good. I was like, I'm going to steal that. I'm going to put it in my sermon. So I give her full credit for this. Uh, but, but she said, you know, it seems like She says, our life experiences have taught each of us that fill-in-the-blank is the worst possible thing that could ever happen to our kid. I think that a lot of, I think that's very true. What she's saying is is that every single one of us, we draw hard lines around things we've seen happen in each of our lives, and we're like, well, if that ever happened to my kid, that would be the worst thing ever. So I'm going to draw some very hard lines around that because I don't ever want that to happen to my kid. And, and I think that that's very, very true. And, and so for each of us, it's probably going to look a bit different because each of us have had different experiences. You know, as, as a pastor, I see the dark side of a lot of things. And so I have a lot of stories to share. <laughs> I have a lot of stories where parents tell me, like, oh, this isn't that big a deal. I'm like, let me tell you a story of June 19th, 2004. What happened to other parents who thought that that wasn't a big deal, right? I mean, that, that's, that's what we do. But, but, the, but my point is, is that however it looks for you, you do need to draw some hard lines. The, my point is, is that a lot of us, we don't have any hard lines. And that is a problem because love draws hard lines. Dr- love chooses to protect. Love puts some fences and some borders around our children to protect them from certain things. Now, when it comes to freedom and knowing when to do that, th- this, is, this, is, this is what I believe, is that freedom, freedom has less to do with your child's age and more to do with your child's maturity. As you go on, I don't care that all the other kids are doing it. Just because they're 13 and all the other 13-year-olds are doing it doesn't mean your child is ready for it. It also means that they're not, that they're not ready for it. Uh, Olivia just turned eight. My daughter, she just turned eight. We got her a cell phone. 
we told our, our fr- some friends about it, and we saw the prejudgment in their faces, right? I mean, like, they responded really well to us, and they're like, that, that's nice, but when they drank that coffee, I saw in their eyes the reaction they were having. They're calling me stupid is what they were doing, right? Uh, but we got Olivia a cell phone. We got Olivia, we added a line, our, our phone, cell phone bill actually went down, which was great, and we got her a cell phone because we thought that she was at the point in her maturity where she would do really well with it. And we gave her certain guidelines, and we, we told her kind of the, the borders of what she could or couldn't do with it, and we set up certain parameters, and she's doing great with it. She's doing phenomenal. I mainly got it for her because when I can't get a hold of her mama, I'm hoping that she'll pick up her phone. And the other day, I couldn't get a hold of both of them. So they're doing a little, she's doing a little too well for it. I told her, I was like, hey, keep your cell phone on you, kid. You know what I mean? I'm trying to find your mama. But, you know, her, her maturity is at the point where I'm comfortable giving my 8-year-old a cell phone. I'm not telling you that that's what you should do with your 8-year-old. I'm not telling you that that's what you should do with your kid. I'm telling you that, that, that my child's maturity is at the point where I can give her that freedom. And you have to make that decision because nobody knows your kid better than you. But my point is, is that don't let other people make that decision for you. Don't say, well, every 14-year-old's doing it, so I guess I'll let you do it too. No, don't let the world make that decision for you. You need to make that decision for your child as your because you're their parent. Now, the other thing is, is that we draw some really hard lines in the sand around other certain things. There are certain movies. I have to be real I love movies. I love movies. But I have, I've had to even more investigate what is in every movie and what is in every film. We, I don't know if you've heard of this resource before, but Plugged In is a great website that tells you everything wrong with a, a, a movie. Literally, there's somebody at this company who goes in and counts every single curse word, every single thing that's behavioralistic, spiritual, whatever, even the theology of the film, and they'll report it to you, and you can make an informed decision of whether or not you should go see that movie or not. There have been films that have come out recently that we've said, not going to go see that with our child. Not going to have that conversation just yet with our kids. We've said no to certain things in order to protect them. Another thing that we do is we don't have sleepovers. My, my kids will never have a sleepover. My, my, the first sleepover my kids ever have will be their first night in college or on their wedding night, which, I'm sorry, it's going to be awkward, but that's just, that's just what it's going to be. You know what I mean? Uh, but we're not going to let our kids have sleepovers because we want to protect them from certain things that are happening in the world. Uh, th- now, this again, this one's going to make you really, really, really uncomfortable because I, I know that probably 80% of our congregation does this rec- recreationally. But me and Kate, we do not drink. We will never drink. We do not drink alcohol or allow alcohol into our house. We don't smoke or do drugs or anything like that. And I'm telling you, parents, I, I-, I will say this. I-, I will say that there has never, ever, ever been anyone in my office who has sat down and said, Pastor, I'm telling you what, we just started drinking, and my life is better, and I am better at life than because of alcohol, and it has been the best decision we've ever made. It's really helped us out. No, you know what? It has been the exact opposite of that, and and I'm telling you, parents, most of our kids, many of you, your first exposure to alcohol, where it was normalized, it began in your house. 
Because you saw your parents go camping, and you saw your parents do this, and, and, and you saw your parents, and, and everybody's drinking. It, that must be a normal thing that everybody does. But I, I am telling you, I'm trying to give you a pre-warning. There is nothing good that has ever come from alcohol. And I don't think it's what's best for you. I don't think it's the wise thing to do. And you're like, and I, and I get it, I know, but drinking's not a sin. Let me give you some of the best parenting advice on the face of the planet. Parenting, it, it's not about the absence of sin. It's about the presence of wisdom. Okay? It is not about the absence of sin. It is about the presence of wisdom. And come on, that, that, that game, we talk about this all the time. That game of how low can we go before we've crossed that line, that is so Old Testament. That is so law-driven. And you don't want that for yourself, don't, so don't put yourself under a law-based temple system. Don't choose the lowest, as, the low-as-you-can-go game. Don't just go right up to that line between it before it's the absence of sin. Because we all know it's not always sin that leads our kids astray. It's sometimes just the absence of wisdom. We have to be wise with our parenting, with our children. And so the thing is, is that my advice to you would be to err, err on the side of too much protection and relax your grip slowly. Err on the side of too much protection and relax your grip slowly. Now, I know what you're all thinking. You're like, man... Michael, I've listened to you a long time. I follow you on social media. I thought you were like this, you know, this very liberal democratic hippie, you know what I mean, that was all free loving. And now you get up there and you say like the most conservative thing on the face of the planet. I understand. Ms. hates this game with me all the time because she's like, man, sometimes you will push me like to the most progressive point I could possibly get. And then you say something so conservative that it just really throws me off. I cannot, I cannot understand you. I know. I get it. All right. I, I know I'm like, I'm like the most liberal conservative you've ever met. And and I, and, I, and I go back and forth here, but, but, but here's the thing. My parents, my parents were overly protective. They were very, very protective. My parents just shut me down and said, you're not going to do that. You're not going to that party. You're not going to that friend's house. You're not going to the mall on Friday night. I'm not going to just drop you off. I'm not going to do that. But, and, and here's the thing. Some people are like, but you know, but but my kids, but they'll, they'll miss out on experiences and they'll miss out on friends and they're this and that. Man, let me tell you something. I'm 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 34 years old. I'll, I'll turn 35 here in, in a couple months. I've 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 never been divorced. I have a healthy relationship with my parents. I really like to go home. I'm debt free. I got a roof over my head. I got two beautiful children, a boy and a girl. I got two cars that work. I have a career. My wife has a career. I've never slept. I've only slept with one woman and she's the only thing that I'm addicted to. I'd say that's a pretty good life. I'm okay. I don't think I missed out on much. I'm glad that I had the sexual integrity to save myself from my wife. I'm, I'm glad that I'm debt-free. I'm glad that the only thing I have to talk to my counselors about is because I'm a crazy person, not because I have to unpack a bunch of drama. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful that my parents really held a tight grip on me and slowly let it go. And, and here's what I would say to the parents who, who want to be there. Because I feel like my generation, my generation, our parents were so protective that now my generation goes, I, I, I don't want to be like my parents were with me. I want to be my kid's friend. You, you do not need to be your kid's friend. 
You need to be their advocate. You need to be their protector so that you can be your kid's friend when they're an adult. Okay? You get what I'm saying? 20 years from now, then you can be your kid's friend. But now is not that season of life. Now is not that time. And here's the thing. Parents, parents who seek the approval of their children over and above what's best for their children end up with neither. So don't seek the approval of your children. Don't worry about them living their life. Hold them tightly so that they can actually live life later on. Anyway, we should probably move on. Paul continues on in, in his letter to Corinth, and, and this is what he says. Listen, he says, it always protects and it always trusts. Again, we, we briefly just touched on this, but parents, let me tell you something. Never ever, ever lie to your children about anything. Do not give your children a reason to distrust you. Because I've already seen that. I saw this as a youth pastor, and I see this speaking to our kids. If you lie to your kids about anything, and they find out that you lied to them, they find out that you manipulated them, then here's the question they will ask. What else have you lied to me about? It could be something minor, guys. It could be something small. It could, have, it could be something to do with the holidays, it, whatever it may be. If you lie to them about anything, they will say, well, what else did you lie to me about? What other games have you been playing with me? And if they distrust you a little bit, what they will do is they will go to somebody else for their answers. And that is where they will ask the kid on the bus. That is where they will get on TikTok. That is where they will go to the internet to get their answers because they don't trust you do not lie to your kids about anything. Then Paul starts to wind this up and he says it always protects, it always trusts, and it always hopes and it always perseveres. Love always hopes. It never gives up on your kids. Let me tell you something. Never give up on your kids. Always hold hope because the world will call them hopeless. The world will give up on them. Their job will give up on them. There's one day their spouse, who they're in a relationship with, they, they will probably give up on them. You should never give up on your kids because you and God may be the only person who, people who don't. Never give up on your kids because love will always persevere. And, and I love what, where he ends this at. He, he ends this, this part and he says this. And he goes, and, and remember that that love never fails. We as parents, we never know exactly what to do, do we? Every day is a new day. Every generation has its new set of problems. And we never know what to do. And, and, and if Paul were standing in front of you today, if Paul were preaching this message, Paul would say to you, always turn to love. When in doubt, love. Always love, because love never fails. But you need to understand, again, when we hear that, we're like, we automatically think how I perceive love, what I think of love. But remember, that's not what Paul is saying. If we could even translate this even better, what it would look like is this. Jesus' brand of love never fails. Because some of you are like, I keep my kid obedient. I punish him. I do that. That's how I love my child. But we're not talking about what you think love is. We're not talking about your interpretation of love. We're not talking about how you were loved as a child. We're talking about Jesus' love. 
Jesus's brand of love is what never fails. So to wrap this series up, here are a couple of reminders. There are no perfect kids and there are no perfect parents. What needs to be your North Star as you parent, as you figure this out, and look, you're creative enough to take this whole message and to have your own conversations about how you discipline, about how you love, about how you show kindness, about how you show patience, about how you protect your children, about how you earn your, kid, your kids' trust. You can do this on your own, and I believe in you, and all of you are capable. But your North Star should always be to parent towards a healthy relationship with them as an adult. Parent towards a healthy relationship with them as an adult, and guess what? One day when they don't have to come home, they will want to come home. And that is every parent's dream. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, we thank you so much. I thank you for all of these parents here. I, I thank you for their willingness to listen. I thank you for their willingness to learn. Would you, Lord, give them everything that they need in order to love their kids? Because we believe, God, that if we love in the same way that you have chosen to love us, that that we will never fail at. So would you help us to do, to do that, Lord? In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, I am so glad that you guys are here. I hope that you have a great July 4th. And then in July, we are starting a brand new series on resilience. So I hope that you guys will come for that.